Week, uh, this is week six of this part on the seven trumpets of judgment. I've titled this message, A New Kind of Government. So normally I don't like to preach very much about politics and stuff like that. But in this Revelation series, because the text has demanded it, I've had to make many references to government. And I've done that by not advocating for one political side or the other. I hope you can see that. But it is clear that one of the themes in Revelation is this. Don't put your hope in earthly government of any kind because it's not going to end well. But for Christians in America, I think that misplaced hope is more tempting and prevalent than maybe it is for Christians in other countries. And I think one of the reasons is because America is an amazing country and I'm a proud American, but even our nation is not worthy of our hope. As great as America is, we are also flawed and depraved, no matter who's in power. I don't have to go through the list of all the proofs of that, but I think you know that it's true. So the question is, can a nation ever really be righteous? Should churches make transforming government part of our core mission? Should we fight to have Christians in place of power? I mean, if you think about it, Israel had a direct, special, tangible relationship with God manifested in so many ways, and even they couldn't do it right. Look, of course you can love your country, be patriotic, be active politically, but the kingdom of God is our only hope. And today's passage, the seventh trumpet, gives us important insights into how God's people should see earthly government, even our own. So let's look at our passage from Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 and 19. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, which represents the church, who sit on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Now, I put that in bold. I want you to notice something different. Normally, what do you see when you see that? Who is and who was and? It's missing here. And there's a reason. Because this seventh trumpet is a look into the not yet. In the future when he has already come. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying of the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy rail. Remember, we have heavy hail. Remember, we've seen that before, right? Lightning, rumblings, thunder, earthquake, heavy hail. It's always a symbol of God judging evil. That's a pretty intense passage. The history of it is interesting. I want to talk about the fate of earthly governments. First of all, do you see these trumpets, the seven trumpets we've had? Here there's a seventh trumpet blown. And I want you to understand all throughout the Old Testament, there was this concept where trumpets were associated with the victory of God's people. 
Can you think of any other places in the Old Testament where trumpets were used in conjunction with an earthly government or an earthly king falling? Is there one that comes to mind? Very good, Jericho. Very good. This was, they were instructed, go around Jericho seven times. Each time you blast your trumpets. Then on the seventh time around, you'll blast your trumpets and the walls will fall. And this is what happened. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and captured the city. That is the most well-known trumpet connection to the victory of God's people, the battle of Jericho. And you remember the sevens in that story, go around seven times, seven trumpets, I've kind of held this back from you till now because I wanted to kind of bring it all together in one moment. The seven trumpets are directly related to the symbols of the Battle of Jericho. It's a direct link. And after the seventh trip around Jericho and that seventh trumpet sounding, the walls came down, the government of Jericho collapsed and God's people went in and took control of what was thought to be an inconquerable, impenetrable city, and they did it without a single arrow. And throughout the Old Testament, these trumpets are associated with God and his people, with his power and authority rising up against evil. These examples are everywhere. We see it in many of the prophetic books. Here's an example of one of those in Isaiah, verses 27, 13. On that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria... And those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come to worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. I think it's important to recognize that that symbolism is unmistakable. And then there's these raging nations. The verse says, the nations that raged have been judged. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, if you, if you will allow me to say it this way, this is kind of like the stairway to heaven song in the Old Testament of nations raging and being defeated. People would understand when they, just like I explained this to you a few weeks ago when I, talked, when I quoted that Journey song, right? Don't stop believing. Hold on. To, yeah, very good. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Some of you look like you wanted to try to turn it into a rap bridge. Do not do that. It's not my intent. When John's readers would have heard the idea of raging nations, oh, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. This verse in Psalm 2 is that stairway to heaven concept. It's the most well-known song about this idea of the, of the futility of nations raging. And John combines this seventh trumpet of Jericho with this other obvious Old Testament concept. They would have recognized how the nations rage and toil and fight against God. And this is an instinctive, reflexive response of every human government in human history. Even Israel. The idea of nations raging isn't about anger. It's about the insatiable drive of all governments for power and control and the preservation of it. You know, government in the course of human history never voluntarily shrinks 
or gives up power. That only happens by force or when government collapses on itself. Now, occasionally, an earthly government might pause strategically, but it never pulls back. Its nature is to grow and to expand. As a matter of fact, for the sake of preserving power, government will even go so far as to ally itself with religion. For the sake of preserving power, both secular and spiritual. But one of the things that God's people have always hoped for is the day that our Jesus brings earthly government to an end. Psalm 110, verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. That is also the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Did you know that? No other verse in the Old Testament is quoted more than Psalm 110, verse 5. And what is it about? The day that Jesus rolls up all the earthly kingdom into one kingdom. And you know, the frustration of living under the authority of kings and kingdoms of this world is something John's readers understood. Throughout Israel's history, they lived under hostile earthly powers like Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. In addition, the people of Israel... Generations of evil, ungodly kings. And John's audience at the time is under the oppression of Rome. They would certainly be thirsting and hoping for the fulfillment of the promise in Psalm 2, in Psalm 110. And they would make this obvious connection of the seventh trumpet of Jericho as a symbol and a reminder of what the future will be for God's people. So that's the history of the passage. You can understand, as they read this, they would be thinking these verses and these songs. They'd be direct callbacks. Look at the theological section. What about God? What does he do? I've titled this, Out with the Old. First of all, this phrase, destroying the destroyers, is interesting. Scripture has much to say, as I've already cataloged for you, <clears throat> about the fate of kings and kingdoms and nations, governments and earthly authorities. Matter of fact, a lot of this is taken directly from the book of Daniel. Chapter 2, verse 44, look what Daniel says. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kings and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. This seventh trumpet is another camera angle. I've explained to you how these cycles of judgment are to be seen. They're the same cycle, but just from different angles. This seventh trumpet is another camera angle on the return of Jesus, specifically its ramifications on all earthly governments. And this ominous fate of earthly governments is the culmination, the end result of our redemption and the redemption of this entire world. It provides encouragement for us, and reveals how the nations, no matter how big they are, they exist only at God's decree. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Obviously, that's Jesus. He came to the Ancient of Days, was presented before him. Jim was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
We long for that day, don't we? When the kingdoms of this world all become the kingdom of our God and of his son, Jesus Christ. It also reveals the folly of nations that like to rage against God's authority. It also reveals the foolish obsession with things like nationalism, at least for a child of God anyway. Kingdoms granted authority by God and for a time fulfill his sovereign purpose and his plan. And once government has served God's purpose in the plan of redemption, they will lose influence or disappear. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So do you understand, right? This is important for you to get. Throughout history, all nations, no matter how powerful they have been, they have all ultimately fallen. They fall from glory and power at God's decree. And this prophecy, this final day, it really is symbolized as Jesus scooping up the kingdoms of this world into one single entity and claiming them all back under his authority. But until that day, those who run the kingdoms of this world have one primary motivation, to hold on to that power. Now look, sometimes these kingdoms will disintegrate like Rome did, and like Babylon, or they are reduced to a fraction of their former power. For example, the United Kingdom today looks nothing like it did before World War II. It was a vast empire, global and ultimately, every earthly government, including ours, passes away. None of them are forever. And honestly, that's probably a good thing, isn't it? There's something else that God does as he rolls up these kingdoms. There's an open temple. He says, the temple was opened and everyone could see the Ark of the Covenant. Once the fate of earthly governments is sealed, the kingdom of God has a special attribute that no other earthly kingdom has ever had or ever will. You know, since the beginning of time, there's something that every leader of every nation has done, which is separate themselves from the people they lead. Now, they will try to give you the mirage of access, but that's just manipulation. Kings, emperors, presidents, every elected official wants to act like they are of the people but they aren't really. The people they lead do not have free access. It's too risky, isn't it? Try walking into the White House to talk to the president. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Remember what the temple represents in Revelation? It is the place or the format where God dwells among his people. Well here, as all the nations are rolled up, the temple of heaven is opened for all to see the Ark of the Covenant, which is a symbol of the absolute full presence of God, spiritually, physically, everything. So something else happens here besides God taking authority. We're now given access to him. All right, so that's the theological. Look at the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? I, I've titled this A Nation Worthy of Hope. Normally, I, 
after this, I'll put my sermon preview up. I'm going to put that up a little later. I want to show you Matthew 27, 51. This is what happened when Jesus was crucified. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Top to bottom, the earth shook. The rocks were split. Do you see the connection between what happens in the seventh trumpet in here? But there's a little bit of a difference. Today, as God's people, we certainly experience all the benefits of spiritual access to the kingdom of God, don't we? As a matter of fact, what we have learned in Revelation is it is described as the aroma of our prayers filling the heavenly temple like incense. That is the access we have today. That is our direct access to the King of Kings during this time of tribulation that we are in that John says stretches from the crucifixion and the resurrection all the way until Jesus returns. We experience this spiritual access in our prayers. We experience it when we worship together. We experience it when we study the word or we read it in community. We experience it when we fellowship together. We experience it in our kingdom work when we serve each other or our neighbors we experience it in our sacrificial giving. And we see our spiritual access. We see its impacts as the kingdom of God is expanding right now to every tribe, every nation, even while the nations are raging against our efforts. But let's be real. Can we? We know there's still something missing, don't we? There's something more that we're waiting on besides just spiritual access. I mean, we have access to the king, but we can't see him. We can't touch him. We can't fall at his feet like the 24 elders do in this passage around the throne. But on that day, when Jesus rolls all the kingdoms up into one under his authority, our access to that king will no longer be just spiritual. <clears throat> On that day of that seventh trumpet, the barrier between this dimension and the heavenly one is ripped apart. When Jesus takes his place as the king of all the nations, we will have both spiritual and physical access to the king. So like the kingdom of God is now, right? We understand that through the New Testament. Jesus says the kingdom of God is now. And I was trying to figure out a way to explain this. But in fact, one day, it will be more now. <laughs> it's the best I could come up with, sorry. <laughs> On that day, when the kingdom of heaven that's now becomes more now, we will speak to him. We will watch him listen and respond. The very presence of God open to all the redeemed to come in and out of the very presence of the king of kings. That's why he says, I am the door. If anyone knows me, he comes in and out and finds pasture. So this is the sermon preview from this week. No earthly form of government is worthy of your hope. Only the kingdom of heaven is worthy of that. <clears throat> so, a little interactive time, okay? But you're not going to talk. You hear me? <laughs> Raise your hand... If you've ever been frustrated with government, even one you passionately voted for, raise your hand if you've ever been frustrated. 
I knew that was going to go over well, yes. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've ever believed if government would be able to listen to your ideas, it would be much better. Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. <laughs> you know, what is it about this idea of earthly government that frustrates us so much? Is it that it tends to chip away at personal freedom? <clears throat> is it how it fails to hold people accountable? This should be. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's corruption. Maybe your frustration is mostly how government manages the economy or wastes money or the way it handles moral issues, cultural issues, or education or taxes. There's plenty, right? <laughs> I put one of these verses in this passage up a couple of weeks ago, and this week I'm going to put a bigger portion of it up. I mean, guys, this is, this is important. <clears throat> Put not your trust in princes in, the, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the captives or prisoners free. In the end, isn't really this the kind of government we really all want, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian? I mean, instinctively, we long for a world that is governed with integrity. We want a world that is governed with justice and equality. And that is what every government claims it can be. Oh, we're going to be different. We're a new kind of government, a new kind of leadership. The world has never experienced our wisdom and our discernment. The world has never seen what it looks like when real government is executed correctly. But no earthly government will ever meet that standard. Instead, every government instinctively or intentionally ends up raging against the authority of the King of Kings. Even America, as great as it is, whether it's led by evangelical conservatives or woke progressives, still rages. Did you know that? Either one. And the day of the seventh trumpet, when the King of Kings takes over, all of that will change for every tribe and every nation. Look what Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may, be, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know that holy nation Peter's describing right here? That's the one that will rule with Jesus after that seventh trumpet. So don't be so invested, so obsessed with Christians seizing power in government that are going to be broken and destroyed anyway. No earthly country, no matter how great, 
Listen to me. No earthly country, no matter how great, is God's chosen nation. The church is God's chosen nation. No leader, whether an evangelical conservative or progressive or anything in between, is worthy of your hope. Any of it. Only the king of kings is worthy. Your loyalty, your passion should always be for the king of kings and his holy nation. His people, his church, his agenda, and his mission. That's the only nation right here that lasts forever. That's the only nation that's worthy of your hope. That's the only nation that deserves your loyalty before any others. It is, in fact, if you'll allow me to help bring it home for you, it is, in fact, the nation represented by the gathering right here in this room on Lockwood Ridge. The kingdom of God is not in City Hall. It is not in Tallahassee. It's definitely not in D.C. (laughs) Never has been, never will be, and it is not anywhere else in the world, not London, Moscow, any capital. Church, this is so important. If you want to be blessed as a child of God in a world that is raging against the king of kings, there's only one way. Once you're fully able to embrace this concept with all your heart and all your mind, then you'll be able to let go of foolish, hopeless, feckless obsession with earthly government. I'm not saying we shouldn't be good citizens. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved when it's appropriate. But this is not our priority. The kingdom of God and the king of kings is every time. Heavenly Dad, we confess to you that far too often there are many things that we allow uh, to distract us from your kingdom. Lord, please don't let us become people who rage along with the nations. Help us to abide within the one nation that will last forever. One made of all tribes and all peoples because of your work on the cross. And Lord, we do, as we learned early in Revelation, we do pray for your return. Oh, man, that would be great. We anticipate it, we hope for it, we want it. But until then, we ask that you would give us the faith and the discernment to dismiss earthly obsession and place all of our hope in the kingdom of God. We're so thankful you've called us out of darkness into light to be a part of your chosen nation. 
And now through your spirit and through your word and through your truth, continue to make us worthy of that calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. Thank you.